Good evening. My name is Aaron Grogan. I'm one of the elders here at Christian Fellowship Church, and it's a true privilege to be able to speak tonight on uh, Good Friday. And I thought I would start with um, just a real brief kind of explanation as to why are we here tonight? Why do we come to uh, remember and uh, Christ's sacrifice? Why do we, dare I say, celebrate uh, God's gift uh, to us? And I think to do that best, um, to understand why we call it Good Friday, we have to start with um, creation. Um, God created the world and everything, including us, out of nothing. And he made it the purpose for his glory, for um, his enjoyment. And we, as we were created, to um, obey and enjoy him perfectly. But unfortunately, we sinned. And our sin has a, a debt. Um, God will, will judge, uh, judge sinners um, with eternal death. God, being full of mercy and grace, he sent his son to walk this earth, to live a life where he obeyed and enjoyed God perfectly, unlike what we were able to do. And further, he gave his son as a sacrifice. Our, still, our sin was still there that needed that blood sacrifice and God gave us his perfect lamb, his perfect son, to die on the cross so that instead of eternal death, we would have eternal life. So why do we come here on, on Good Friday? Why do we call it Good Friday? Because God gave us that gift. He gave us Christ's sacrifice as we've sung these songs and read these verses so far, knowing that that's what we as Christians get is eternal life. So tonight, we're going to um, talk briefly about just a few hours before Christ would come to uh, be sacrificed, before he would be arrested. And he, is in, he and his disciples would go into uh, Gethsemane. And, um, but first, let's pray. Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come to worship you here, Lord. And we thank you that you um, provided the perfect son for us. And we thank you that um, tonight we can share these words with each other, be encouraged by the words to know you better, Lord. I pray that tonight we, you would use me to speak your words boldly. And uh, we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Have you ever been uh, quick to anger? Have you ever um, maybe got upset with your wife or your husband, maybe a coworker or a friend, and you, you said, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to get upset, I'm not going to... But all of a sudden, it's like, boom, something set you off, and all those good intentions out the door, and you get upset. And maybe for youth and the kids, have you ever been told um, by your parents, 
I don't want you to do this. Maybe like, don't watch this YouTuber. It's a bad example. Maybe it's not something you should be looking at. And you think it's kind of nuts, but you're like, okay, fine. I won't do that. And then a day or two later, you're at a friend's house and they say, hey, let's check out this uh, YouTuber. And like, I'm not supposed to. And they kind of convince you, what's the big deal? What's the harm? And you decide to do it anyway. What about our prayer life? How many of us plan to get up in the morning to pray, to read the Bible, to start our day with, with the Lord? That alarm goes off, especially in the winter. It's cold, it's warm in bed, we're tired. Like, ah, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'll do it later. There's no problem with that. Lo and behold, what happens? Later never comes, and we don't get to it. You know, we're weak on our own. Our flesh is waging war with our spirit. We want to do what's right. We have good intentions, but we fail at it. We can't do it on our own. And there's a price for that. When we, when we sin, when we do what we want instead of God's will, that's where our sin comes in. The really familiar passage to many of us, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ does what we can't. Christ showed us that example. He's the one that's able to abstain from being quick to angry or not obeying what God has us do. But let me briefly set the scene before we jump into the passage. As I mentioned, um, tonight uh, we're going to be talking about just before, uh, actually the night before, Christ would be crucified. And it starts with um, the Lord and the disciples are having uh, Passover, and then the Lord institutes the Lord's Supper. And immediately after that, they go out to the Mount of Olives, and Christ proceeds to tell the disciples that you're going to, um, you're going to fail. You're going to uh, fail because of me, and you're going to abandon me. And they, of course, say, no, 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 we would never do that. We would never do that. And Peter, um, of course, was loud with that. And Christ said to Peter, you know, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Of course, he's, you know, saying, no, 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 that would never happen. But Christ is fully God, and he knows what's coming and why he came to earth. He was filled with sorrow, and he felt like he needed, as he's entering into Gethsemane, needed to be in prayer uh, to petition his father to see if there's another way, but only if it's God's will. Christ will drink the cup before him, doing God's will, because our flesh is too weak, and we couldn't. Let's read our passage in Matthew 26, 36 through 46. And I'm just going to read straight through it, mostly. So, um, Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking him with, with Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, 
he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. As our passage, it begins, like I said, in Gethsemane. Christ with his disciples, he, he goes uh, with all of his disciples and he asks them to, to stay and pray. And he goes a little bit further off with uh, Peter, James, and John. I think Luke says, like a stone's throw away. And he says, uh, sit here while I go and pray. Christ was troubled and deeply sorrowful to face the full brunt of God's wrath. Jesus had already told his disciples on three different times that he would be coming to Jerusalem and he would die and rise again in, in three days. Christ knew this was coming, but he was also not only fully God, but he was fully man. And the enormity of what was being revealed to him was obviously beginning to weigh on him um, as that night came closer. So Christ, being with probably his closest friends, he shared his heart with them. Christ told them in verse 38, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And I'm sure you can all think of a time when something's been heavy on your heart. Um, it could be a decision. It could be some sadness, maybe a sickness. Maybe it was just you needed people around you to pray with you. But a time when you felt like you wanted that support. And because God was fully man, it's not unusual that he would want that same thing to be with his friends even though he was going to pray with his uh, father well jesus was deeply sorrowful with what was coming and as jesus the man it would be normal for him to uh, have his close friends but why do you think his emotion was so great this time when we look back in uh, Matthew 16 and Matthew 17 and 20, when he um, is telling the disciples about 
you know, these other three times that, hey, we're going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and on the third day I'm going to raise again. We don't see this emotion that we see here. Um, it's somewhat kind of matter of fact. Um, actually, let's look at uh, Luke 18, verses 31 through 34. I think we're going to have it on the screen here. But let's look at this situation And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of this. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So this is pretty matter-of-fact, almost just reporting back to, remember, this is what's going to happen. I think the night, um, that night, Christ was starting to experience, and it was being revealed to him something different than just maybe the, the, the knowledge that this was coming, that um, we'll never fully understand that fully God and fully man relationship but as a man as as the fully man part of him would would be coming to knowing that maybe this is tomorrow as opposed to down the road um, I think that's where some of that sorrow becomes becomes it's not glossed over lightly uh, in 37 and 38 and Christ having revealed his deepest emotions He'd given his disciples, it seems like a really compelling reason to be there and to watch with him. Christ told Peter, James, and John he was going to go off and pray. And he prayed three separate times to the Lord. Clearly, Jesus was was not taking it lightly. The first time in verse 39 says he fell on his face. And I don't know if that's if he were trying to adopt like a low and humble um, position for prayer, or was it, oh, Lord, I need, and, and that deep sadness and tension that he wanted to go to his father in prayer. But he addressed God as my father, an intimate address, not a demanding, I need this and I need you to do that. It was an intimate call, call to his father. He prayed, if there was another way, let the cup pass. And this cup refers not only to the suffering and death, but as in the Old Testament, refers to God's wrath. It must have been a draining situation that was going on in that prayer, in his prayer time. Because Luke records that an angel comes down to strengthen him. And I find it, it's interesting that the angel didn't come down to save him. He didn't come down to remove him from that situation so that he didn't have to do it. He came down to strengthen him, to endure. And Jesus went on to pray in agony and prayed more earnestly. And again, in Luke, it re- he records that he prayed so earnestly, the sweat turned to droplets of blood. Now, 
I don't know about you all, but I've never prayed so deeply where I began to sweat, let alone droplets of blood in my sweat. So this is an intensity of prayer that we can barely imagine, but so is what's coming. So is that cup before Christ. It's something we can barely imagine. Matthew records the second time of prayer in verse 42. My father, if we can't pass without me drinking, he's confirming this time that this is the way it must be. He's accepting. And then the third time in verse 44, it just says he prays the same prayer again. So Jesus has this supernatural uh, it's been supernaturally strengthened by the angel. The intensity of his prayer has produced sweat and droplets of blood. Clearly, the cup before him is weighing on him heavy, and he's relying on his father. So, why was Christ so full of sorrow? The song, The Man of Sorrow. Why was he so full of the sorrow? What's the deal with the cup? Some might think it's a reference to the cup from the, um, from the Lord's Supper. You know, uh, Christ's blood shed. And certainly, as we know, that what's coming is certainly going to be Christ's blood shed. But I don't think that's the cup that's referenced here. Jesus is referencing... God's cup of sorrow and wrath from the Old Testament. Let's look at Psalm 11.6. And it'll be up on the screen here. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. And just one more, um, Isaiah 51.22. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more. Christ knew what the cup was. He knew what was coming in that cup. Very quickly, I'm just going to run through four things that what what was in that cup? What was why was God why was Christ full of sorrow? One the physical pain of the cross and being crucified. As we know, he would be arrested, beaten, whipped, led to uh, where he'd be crucified, the cross on the ground, his hands would be nailed, metal spikes in his hands, metal spikes in his feet, and that cross is lifted up, and as, he's, as that cross is lifted up, all of his weight's being supported on, on those metal spikes. And as time goes on, the only way for him to breathe is to pull up on those spikes in his hands to take a breath. The physical pain is beyond our imagination. All for someone who knew no sin, who was up there for us. And he would feel... Number two, the guilt and shame of our sin. Not just ours, but everyone's. 
Have you ever sinned and you've gone and you know you need to pray, you know you need to repent, but you're ashamed, you're saddened, you're disappointed, you're guilty, you feel guilty with the sin coming to God. Maybe it's a repetitive sin. Maybe it's something you've, you've had to repent of before and you just feel that kind of weight of, I have to do this. I, I can't believe I'm coming again, Lord. And just that weight of that one sin. Imagine your whole day's worth of sins on you at that moment. We don't even know half our sins that go on. And imagine you have your lifetime of sins weighing on you. And turn and look at the people around you. What if you had their sin on you? And not just today's but their lifetime's worth of sins and the world's lifetime of sins and the entire history of the world and their sins, our sins now, any sins to come in the future, all of those Christ took on, on the cross. The weight of sin on his shoulders on the perfect and unblemished lamb That could make you feel sorrowful. Number three, Christ would face the loneliness of the cross. More importantly, the separation from God. Christ knew this was coming and he wanted his friends around him, his worldly friends, to support in this time, but they abandoned him. But much more would be his separation from God. His deepest joy on earth was the sweet fellowship with his father, with God. A father who was pleased, well pleased with his son. Facing the rejection of his friends and the separation and rejection of God, on the cross, Christ would be cut off from the father in heaven. And last, the last thing, that Christ would face as a price for his salvation, Christ would take the full wrath of God meant for us. Let's look at Ezekiel 7, 8. I'm about to pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all your detestable practices. This is what God is taking for us. All this built up anger, righteous anger of the Lord with our sin. It makes sense that Christ would be so deeply filled with sorrow, no man, no man could receive that kind of physical pain, that loneliness, or the guilt and shame, or the separation from God in his full wrath. Christ alone. Only he could take the sins of the world on his shoulders. He would pay the price that we could never pay. With all this hanging heavy on Christ, it's no wonder Christ would want his disciples to be there with him to pray. This is the kind of life event, if we were faced with it, we'd go running. We'd be shouting, no, I can't do this. Something else, anything else. 
But Christ was facing it head on. Not meekly, but knowing he wanted to talk to his father just to see if I have to save the world, if I have to do this, is there another way? But only if it's your will. Christ had told the disciples earlier in the night that they would fall away from him. This is fulfilling Zechariah 13.7. It says, Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little one. So knowing that Jesus told them, the disciples, they would abandon him, here they have an opportunity to shine. Here they have an opportunity to, as Christ goes off to pray, that they could be there for him. They could be there to pray for him, support him. But sadly, they don't shine. We've all had a point at some time in our life when we've felt rejected. Um, That inner sense of rejection, maybe from a parent or a spouse, a close friend, brother or a sister. But maybe in some of those cases, at least some of the time, there's a chance that we could have done something differently. We could have maybe our actions contributed to that situation. But that's not the case with Christ and the disciples. Christ, being the perfect, spotless lamb, couldn't have done anything different. He was abandoned not for something that he did. The loneliness that Christ must have felt The disciples were far from understanding the situation. They were so far from it that they they slept. They fell asleep. And Christ says in verse 38, Can you remain here and watch with me? Just watch. And then in verse 40, Jesus returns to Peter, James, and John and finds that they're asleep. Christ, I'm sure, was frustrated. Maybe hurt, disappointed. Christ says, Could you not watch for one hour? You might think that being after told you're going to fail uh, the Lord, that you might be in prayer. And then Christ says in verse 41, instead of just watch with me, he says, watch and pray that you may not fall into temptation. He's talking about the temptation of falling back to sleep and not being there with him. But he's acknowledging that they want to do what's right because he says, watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. It's like we talked about, I said in the beginning, our spirit is always waging war with our worldly flesh, our worldly fleshly desires. So God goes off, I'm sorry. So Jesus goes off to pray again in verse 43 and Jesus comes back again and yep, You guessed it, they were back to sleep again. He doesn't bother waking them this time, and the feeling of disappointment and sadness must have been great again. The final time he leaves, and he doesn't say anything. Jesus returns the third time, and they are asleep 
But now, it's too late. Jesus says in 45 and 46, rest later. The gig is up. I'm betrayed. They're here for me. Christ was full of sorrow, just wanted the support of his friends, and while he was in agony, sorrowful to death, but they couldn't even stay awake. They just didn't really get it. But Christ knew that they could never take this cup. Rejection of someone close to you is hard, especially when it's in a time that you are reaching out, you're making yourself vulnerable and letting them know that you would like their support. But Christ knew where his true faithful comfort was. That was in his father. He would ask his father if it's possible to let this cup pass, but only if it's your will. Christ chose to do God's will. In verse 39, it says, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This, isn't, this was not a question of whether Christ would do God's will. Christ was asking, does it have to, do I have to die this way? Is there another way? But only if it's your will. In verse 42, again, it says, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink the cup, your will be done. He's asking, but fully prepared to do God's plan. Christ would do God's will. But why would God put this cup in front of him right now, the evening before? Why wouldn't he wait until the next day Christ was going to be on the cross? Why, why put this weight on him early? And I found an interesting statement, an answer to that question. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, he answers it this way. This is a quote. It was so we could see Jesus go to the cross voluntarily, knowing fully well what he was about to experience so that his love for us would be put on display even more. It was so we could see the extent of the price he was willing to pay to redeem us. So this was not Christ being forced. He wasn't begging to not do this, begging to do something different He was approaching his father and just saying, is there another way? And if not, I willingly will do your will. Three times Jesus pursues God's will, not as I will, but as you. Your will be done. And the passage ends with the time up. The sleepers, they've missed their opportunity to be strengthened by prayer. And and Christ, who was in prayer, prayed in agony. He does not run. He rises and he faces his betrayers. Christ drank the cup before him, doing God's will because our flesh is too weak and we couldn't. 
So how does this apply to our lives today? So a couple um, ideas. It's good to have our friends around us. It's good to have a close-knit group of Christians, your family, to um, when you need something, when you're, when you're struggling with something. Um, but it's only God that's always there, that will never fail, never fail you. And God may use things to turn us to him, if you find yourself in a situation where you didn't get the reaction from your group of support, earthly support, it might be God is teaching you dependence on him because God is the only one we can truly count on. So we must lean into God into trials in our lives, not only depending on our earthly support and probably equally what we do is leaning on ourselves and our own strength. And the second would be sometimes our desires may be different than um, what God has put before us. And Jesus shows us that it's okay to struggle with it. It's okay to struggle with the disconnect in your desire to what God has put in front of you. As long as, at the end of it, you're seeking God's will, not your will. You're not trying to convince God to do it your way. You're not trying to say, yeah, but I know better. We don't always know God's plan. So when we are find ourselves in that situation where you feel God leading you down that path, but you want to go down this way, we have to have faith. We have to believe that God is the one with the answers, that God is trusted. And in closing, tonight, as we celebrate Good Friday, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, went into the Garden of Gethsemane with his friends because he was troubled and sorrowful over the cup that was before him. Let's remember with great with deep gratefulness that Christ drank the cup before him, doing God's will because our flesh was too weak. He drank that cup that we deserved, and he drank it for us to the dregs and said, it is finished. Let's pray with me. Heavenly Father, we praise your name, Lord. We will never be worthy for this gift that you gave, for the sacrifice of your son. Lord, we pray that we would leave here in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice, being encouraged to, to trust in you, to put our faith in you, to desire your will above our own, to know that we would have never been able to pay that debt, to drink that cup, that we needed Christ. And Lord, we are just ever grateful for that sacrifice so that we have eternal life in you. So in your name we pray, amen.